aftermath of Hurricane Ida. Phenomenal amount of rain. That's pretty much well, it's over a, over a month's worth of rainfall in just an hour. The UK's ninth warmest summer on record. Highest temperature of the whole summer was at uh, Heathrow in July, um, reaching 32.2 degrees. And the relationship between climate and trees. We are likely to see some species reduce in, in density and, and maybe even disappear from this country. It's Friday, the 3rd of September, and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and welcome back to Weathersnap, the insider's guide to the week's weather headlines. Hurricane Ida made landfall across Louisiana earlier this week as a major Category 4 tropical storm. It then cast a path of extreme wind and rain northeastwards across the US. Here's Chris Olmond, Deputy Chief Forecaster at the Met Office Global Guidance Unit. It was a very major storm, a Category 4 storm, and there were strong winds up to 150 miles an hour. And of course, last year we had Hurricane Laura, which at the time was a, a bit of a record breaker in its own right. So to have this one coming this year at pretty much the same time and pretty much the same location is quite remarkable. So a Category 4, obviously we remember Katrina. And after Katrina, there was a lot of work done on the estuary and the delta and all the little tributaries because flooding was the major issue and also storm surge. And it seemed to hold well for Hurricane Ida, but still a million people without power. It was the wind, wasn't it? Absolutely. Um, 150 mile an hour winds, as I said, they're going to cause damage. And although they had strengthened the uh, flood defences due to the sheer amount of water and wind in that system, um, there were still problems. And as you say, over a million people without power. Hurricane Ida obviously made landfall, affected millions of people, but that wasn't the end of the story. So after it hit um, parts of New Orleans and that kind of area, the winds died down, but there's still a huge amount of warm and moist water um, in that atmosphere. So that moved northeast through parts of Mississippi, Tennessee, parts of Kentucky, Virginia. And then, of course, we had uh, up towards Pennsylvania and New York. So it's, it's now actually over Canada, northeast Canada, uh, but it should move away from there um, fairly soon. But again, a lot of heavy rain around. We saw in the news the devastating scenes across New York and many lives lost. How much rain was there dumped in that region? Well, there were, there were two problems, really. The sheer amount of rainfall within this warm tropical air saw fairly widespread totals of 150 to 250 millimetres, um, which fell over a couple of days, which is quite exceptional in itself. But Central Park in New York actually recorded 80 millimetres in just one hour, which is a phenomenal amount of rain. That's pretty much well, it's over, a, over a month's worth of rainfall in just an hour. Finally, Hurricane Larry, what's the prognosis for this one? Looks like it's going to stay uh, largely over the sea, but it may well head towards Bermuda in the next few days. But this one doesn't look as if it's heading towards the United States at the moment. But obviously people in Bermuda will need to keep an eye out for that. Chris Allman, thank you very much. Anticyclonic gloom blighted the last weeks of summer in the south and east of the UK, However, Scotland enjoyed a sunny and warm August. Here's Dr Mark McCarthy with the summer highlights. 
actually, relative to a normal summer, Scotland and Northern Ireland have seen some of the warmest, driest and sunniest conditions uh, this summer. So in actual fact, Northern Ireland has had its third hottest summer on record and Scotland has had its fourth hottest summer on record. But it has been a season of contrasting fortunes, really, across the UK. So a lot of this warmer, drier, sunnier weather has sometimes been located in the north and the west of the UK. And we've seen some duller and wetter conditions in the southeast, where we have large population centres. Talk to me about rainfall, because I remember in the news just a month or so ago, subways in London becoming rivers and huge amounts of torrential rain being dumped on the Isle of Wight. And that skewed the statistics in that region. So, um, again, there are some stark contrasts. So for most of the UK, the season has overall been drier than average. But the notable exception to that is the southeast of England. Some regions around London, Sussex, Hampshire has seen sort of 140 to 150 percent of average summer rainfall, um, particularly some notable wet spells through June and in July, where we saw some severe sort of flash flooding events in parts of London, for example. Uh, But also the Isle of Wight, very notable, more than twice their normal summer rainfall on the Isle of Wight. Um, But when we sort of look at the UK overall, uh, it's received 75% of average summer rainfall. So uh, there is quite a sharp contrast between the southeast of the region and other parts of the UK. And those statistics, the masking of regional variations, transcends to temperature as well. Uh, For temperature has been an interesting summer in some regards. So we had some warmer than average conditions through a lot of early June and then a heat wave in July uh, where we issued the first amber heat warning um, from the Met Office during during that event. And we saw some records being broken. So Northern Ireland recorded its highest temperature on record in July with 31.3 Celsius uh, being a new record for that for that region however the the highest temperature of the whole summer was at uh, Heathrow in July um, reaching 32.2 degrees and we didn't get higher than that in the summer. Dr Mark McCarthy thank you very much. Phenology is the study of biological life cycles and the way they are influenced by variations in climate. One of the founding fathers of phenology is Gilbert White He was one of the first to study the close relationship between nature and weather, as Met Office archivist Dr Catherine Ross explains. Gilbert White lived between 1720 and 1793. He followed his grandfather and his uncle into the church and he became the curate of Selborne, which is a parish in Hampshire. White is most famous for his book, The Natural History and Antiquities of Selborne. He published it in 1789, which was just four years before his death, and it's never been out of print since. It's actually the fourth oldest book in the English language to have been constantly in print since it was published. White was a keen gardener, and that in turn got him interested more widely in the natural world. In fact, he's widely regarded as the father of ecology. Gilbert White decided that his approach was going to be close observation rather than the scientist of his day who would collect information from all over the UK, put it together and kind of assume it was related. He specifically focused on his garden. 
he would look in absolute detail at everything there on every day. He'd look at the animals, the plants, the weather conditions, the seasons, and observe them all the way through the year, every year. He was the first person to realise that three birds, the chiff-chaff, the willow warbler and the wood warbler, were actually three different species. And he was the first person to identify the harvest mouse. He even noticed that owls hoot in B-flat. He inspired a lot of people, possibly the most famous was Charles Darwin. He very much recognised that he was kind of standing on the shoulders of Gilbert White in his thinking about ecosystems. From a weather point of view, it was really that concept of close observation of one place. And in fact, we've got the weather diary of Thomas Baker, who was his brother-in-law, in the National Meteorological Archive. And it's one of the early important weather diaries giving us the start of close observations in one place. The state of the global tree population has been in the news this week with a report by the Union for the Conservation of Nature suggesting 30% of the world's tree species are threatened with extinction due to deforestation. Changing weather patterns add additional pressure, yet trees themselves can tell us a good deal about our changing climate. Here's Met Office scientist Dr Debbie Hemming. I'm the scientific manager of the Vegetation Climate Interactions Group, which is within the Met Office Hadley Centre. Our work looks at the interactions between vegetation and climate and how these may change in the future. How does nature reflect our changing climate? There are many strongly visual indicators. Possibly the most obvious for us in the UK is the seasonal cycle. Many people will notice that for many plant and animal species, the seasons have been arriving earlier and some trees particularly have been keeping their leaves on in autumn or winter for much longer. How do you measure vegetation rates? We've looked at satellite data, looking basically at the kind of greenness of the land surface. And in the UK particularly, we've got a really strong community of citizen scientists who go out and study the same trees uh, year on year. So over the past year through 2020, how has it compared with leaf coverage? If we look at the satellite observations across the Northern Hemisphere, about 55% of the land area experienced an earlier spring in 2020 and about 65% experienced a later autumn. So in 2020, the seasonal cycle has extended. And if we focus in on some of the more regional UK, for example, we were able to see that There's been an extension of about 12 days in this seasonal cycle. And that was related very closely to there being a warmer spring and a slightly warmer autumn as well. That in turn has significant impacts on our climate, I presume. Yes, absolutely. I mean, trees are a large species generally, and they tend to be a very key component in our ecosystems Just the leaf area of trees has a big effect on the local climate and all of these local changes can feed up into large scale global changes. So, for example, the seasonal cycle of leaf out and leaf fall has effects on the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere 
they also release water through the little pores on the on the leaves. And so transpiration, as it's called, this release of water from the leaves affects the humidity in the local area. Trees also provide a lot of shade and they change the amount of radiation that's absorbed at the surface. So Debbie, there are winners and losers when it comes to climate change in trees, aren't there? Yes, there are. I mean, trees, uh, like other species, grow within their ecological niche it's called so the climate and the environmental conditions that they're comfortable in and when you start changing the climate particularly at the kind of rates of change that we've been seeing in the last decades which is very rapid rate of change in climate then you're starting to push those ecological niches so there will be some species that are very comfortable in a drier warmer climate um, but there are other species that really struggle with the warmer and particularly drier conditions. So some people may have noticed that a lot of beech trees suffer in, in the drought conditions. And so we, we are likely to see some species reduce in, in density and, and maybe even disappear from this country. Dr Debbie Hemming. And now with the outlook for the next few days, here's Alex Deacon. It's the first weekend of meteorological autumn and the weather patterns are slowly starting to shift. Uh, high pressure has been dominating all week. It's been bringing a lot of cloud across central and eastern areas, uh, but most places have been dry. Saturday is going to be more of the same, so most places are going to be pretty drab to start off with. But like the last few days, we should see some sunny spells developing across especially southern England, Wales and again, western parts of Scotland where we see some sunshine, still enough strength in it to lift those temperatures into the 20s, so feeling quite pleasant, but where it stays dull over central and eastern England, eastern Scotland, temperatures are going to struggle again, especially on those North Sea coasts. Might even see a little bit of drizzly rain at times. We're only looking at temperatures in the low teens for some here. But as the high pressure shifts, we'll see more of a southerly drift. And that should mean that the eastern parts of the UK that have been so drab all week will brighten up on Sunday. So a better chance of seeing some sunshine here. But at the same time as the high tends to drift away, a weather front will bring some cloud and rain into parts of Northern Ireland and Western Scotland, probably not arriving until the afternoon, but it will bring some rain here later on. Otherwise, though, Sunday is looking sunnier for most and starting to turn warmer. And that's a big trend into the early part of next week. Yes, there is a weather front drifting south, but that should fizzle out. And for most, the main themes for Monday and particularly Tuesday will be the rising temperatures back into the mid, even possibly high 20s in places on Tuesday. But beyond that, it does look like it'll turn more showery and more unsettled to end the week. Back to you, Claire. Thanks, Alex. Just before we go, here's Martin Bowles with last week's highs and lows. Here are the weather extremes for the week beginning Monday the 23rd of August and ending on Sunday the 29th of August. The highest temperature of the week was 27.2 Celsius at Tindrum in Perthshire on Wednesday the 25th. The lowest temperature was 1.3 Celsius at Braemar in Aberdeenshire in the early hours of Friday morning. In a week of very little rainfall across the UK, the largest daily total was 3.8 mm in Resalac in Sutherland on Friday. The best of the sunshine throughout the week was in Western Scotland. 13.3 hours was recorded on Tuesday on the island of Tyree in Argyll. Thanks, Martin. That's it for WeatherSnap. I'm Claire Nazir and editor is Adrian Holloway. 
the Snap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.